Well, good morning. It's a busy time of the year, isn't it? Lots of announcements. Probably you're confused with all the dates. If you are ever confused, just make sure you visit that foyer, the desk there, okay? There's a desk there. Have a look at it. Just remember three dates. 8th of December, 10th of December, and 12th of December. Three dates. 8th, 10th, 12th. It is the Manningham Carols that we always have at Rafi Lake. We need some help. We have two stores. If you can help, please come and help us on the 8th, which is a Friday. And then on the 10th, which is the day of general meeting, and then in the afternoon, we have our own Christmas carols. And that one, we also need help. And on the 12th of February, uh, 12th of December, uh, is the AA dinner that we provide once every every quarter and so this is the final one we need people to help with providing dessert so 8 10 and 12 for details just go to the table at a foyer and you can look at it and sign up let me just pray and then i'll bring god's word to you this morning father thank you for today thank you for each day that given to us it's a blessing uh, life is very fragile Life is very vulnerable. It can be taken away from us easily. And so we thank you for each day that we can live for you. And for this morning, we can come together to worship, to hear your word proclaimed. We ask that, Lord, you speak to us, uh, stimulate our mind, warm our hearts, that we can learn and grow and love Jesus more. Speak to us, dear Lord. Amen. We have been working through the 12 apostles the last couple of months, and today we are looking at the final one, which is Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. So, uh, final one. Some people believe that Judas was actually not the betrayer. He was the one that being betrayed. Because they say that, after all, if there are Old Testament passages that talks about Someone is going to betray Jesus. So he's an unlucky one that has been chosen to betray Jesus. So in that sense, he's not exactly at fault. I mean, if you're chosen, you can't do anything, right? So uh, he was not a betrayer, but betrayed. Um, in fact, some even say that he did Jesus a favor by betraying Jesus so that Jesus can go to the cross and die and save humanity. You know, there are all kinds of uh, uh, things that's floating around. But 30 years ago, I learned a word. It, the word is called antinomy. Antinomy. A-N-T-I-N-O-M-Y. I don't know how many of you know this word. Antinomy is a logical contradiction between principles that are both affirmed in the scripture. A logical contradiction between principles that are both affirmed in scripture. The scripture said that Jesus is God. The scripture also said that Jesus is fully man, fully God, fully man. It talks about God as one and God as three, appeared in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It talks about the sovereignty of God in election of salvation, but yet at the same time, we are responsible to make the decisions. So both principles are taught in the scripture. They are uh, called antinomy. It seems like a paradox. It seems like a contradiction. But when you examine it closely, it is actually not a contradiction, but a mystery. It complements each other. So today, I'm not going down the pathway of exploring that options of Judas. I just stick to what the scripture says about him as the betrayer. 
because we all know that he betrayed Jesus uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane uh, for 30 pieces of silver. So what I want to do this morning is to give you three headings, and then each heading I will explore. The first one is man. I will look at the man that is Judas a little bit, and then I want to examine what are some of his motives in betraying Jesus. And then thirdly, I'll look at some messages, some applications, some warning that we can take away uh, for the story of Judas. So let me look at the name first and foremost, the, the man Judas. Uh, Pastor Caroline has briefly mentioned about his name. Judas simply means praise. What a good name, isn't it? He actually, at the first glance, he didn't look at all like a traitor type. Uh, for example, the name his parents gave him indicates that he probably came from a loving home. The name Judah was once a very, very proud name in Jewish history um, because of Judah's Maccabees. You see, after Elis, you know, the empire was Assyrian and then Babylonian. After Babylonian fell, a Persian empire came up. After Persian empire was Alexander the Great. And after Alexander the Great died at the age of 33, the empire split into four, four parts, ruled by four generals. And one of them is Seleucia. And in the Seleucia, there's a guy called Antiochus Epiphanes. And he tried to, he was controlling Jerusalem at that time. He tried to convert and make Jew to their religion. And of course, they rebelled. And eventually is led by this guy called Judas Maccabees. Uh, when I go to Bible college, this is the first book I have to read. One and two Maccabees and do a book review. Uh, you can read that two books if you have a Catholic Bible or in the library enough. You can easily read because that is the context of the New Testament in early times. Maccabeans. And so Judas Maccabees is, is a great hero in Jewish history because he resisted the Greek and uh, uh, Antiochus and fight. And after Antiochus died, uh, he wanted to give freedom of, uh, that they can practice the religion to the Jewish people, but they refused. They want to gain political autonomy and they fight on. And so Judas, Judas is a beautiful name. It's a heroic name. And so his parents must have great hope of uh, Judas when they name him this. But of course, since Judas Iscariot came into the scene, forever this name has been tarnished. Nobody named their son Judas anymore. Unless you know any. No worry. Just like the name Bin Laden. Yeah? Bin Laden is a good name, by the way. It is, in Saudi Arabia, it is highly revered because the father is a big-time businessman, always worked with the king. Uh, but because of Osama bin Laden, the word bin Laden is forever tarnished in that sense. Um, so by all accounts, he seems like a, a, a decent family person, uh, no obvious vices in the sense the scripture never mentioned while as a disciple he did anything. And after all, if you appoint someone to be a treasurer, to be in charge of money, I mean the person must have some some good values in them that is trustworthy, right? I mean, out of the twelve, why they appoint Judas? He must exemplify. And Judas is the only disciple out of the twelve that is from Judea, that is not from the Galilee province, Judea. And uh, so that is a little bit background of Judas. He seems to be quite a quiet, business mind and respectable um, 
person in that sense. So let me just quickly examine some of the motives why Judas chose to betray Jesus. I could think of four. They probably could have many more. What possible motive or motives would Judas have that would lead him to betray Jesus Christ? The man that he has spent three years with. He walked with Jesus. He slept with Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus fed the 5,000. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He was with Jesus for three years. Why would he betray Jesus? He saw Jesus pronouncing forgiveness on people, healing people. Why would he betray Jesus? Four reasons I could think of, or maybe more, because he was jealous. Some say because he was jealous. As I mentioned, he was from Judea, not from Galilee. Judea Jews tend to be feel more superior than other parts of uh, uh, um, Jerusalem, uh, part of uh, Israel. Um, and as such, he felt that they are more learned, they are more cultured, and yet he is not part of the inner circle. Um, that could be one reason, as we already noticed that when James and John went to Jesus uh, with the mother to ask for to sit beside the new kingdom, left and right hand men of Jesus, all the disciples were angry and upset. In a sense, so it, it may be it is it is possible that he was uh, uh, jealous and embittered because, in his opinion, the Galileans had higher places of authority than he. When he is more learned, he's from Judea. In the sense, unfortunately, as we all know, uh, people who who feel left out, they are capable of bizarre behavior, and when and we all know when you're jealous, you can do all kinds of things. You can even murder someone out of jealousy and all that. So it is possible that he betrayed Jesus because he was jealous. Another view is that because of greed. And after all, uh, we know that he betrayed Jesus with 30 silver coins for money. In the sense that he in charge of money. And John chapter 12 told us that he constantly helped himself with the money as well. So it is possible again that Jesus, I mean he betrayed Jesus because of greed. Uh, John 12 says, uh, he did not say this, uh, I will say a little bit more in John 12, it's in the context of Mary Magdalene pouring out the perfume and wash Jesus' feet with her hair, wiping it, and, and he said, why? Why did you want to waste this perfume? He uh, can give to the poor this money. And John put a commentary by saying he did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief, as keeper of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So it could be that he betrayed Jesus because, really because of money. Um, um, but personally, I, I feel it's a bit unlikely. I mean, why ask for 30 silver anyway? You could ask for anything else, right? If you, um, could we ask for more, a land, or whatever? Um, but the third reason is that because he was frightened. Uh, this theory suggests that once he saw the handwriting on the wall, he went to the high priest with his little scheme in order to save his own skin. And why not? By now, it was clear that the religious leaders were closing in on Jesus. His days were numbered. Jesus himself was talking about his own death more and more. 
But once they captured Jesus, what will happen to his key leaders, his disciples, those who are close to Jesus? They will also be, be captured and maybe put to death as well and tried along with Jesus. So, and the way things were going, they might all be put to death. So Judas might have betrayed Jesus simply to save himself, save his own skin, because he was frightened. He saw the writing already on the walls that they are closing on, on Jesus. The fourth reason is because he was disillusioned. He was disillusioned. Tradition said that uh, Judas belonged to a sect under Judaism called the Zealots. You know, under Judaism, there are four sects. You know, you're Pharisee, you're Sadducees, and then you have the Qumran community. People live like a, like a monk in the desert. And then you have zealots. Zealots are the people uh, who want to overthrow the Rome, uh, Roman Empire, uh, the oppressor in the sense. Uh, much like Judas Maccabees. So he has that trait maybe uh, in him, the line. And, and, and he wanted to do that. But he was dissatisfied when he realized that Jesus did not come to set up an earthly kingdom. He was disappointed at the direction of Jesus' ministry. It's just not going the way I thought. He, he began to get disillusioned. And I heard uh, scholars say that the seed was planted in him when the feeding of the 5,000. After the feeding of the 5,000, that was the best opportunity to have an uprising because he had about 10,000 adults and children. That's the best way to, to, to start something. But Jesus ended up turning everybody away and they left only the twelve, you know. Remember the story in John chapter 6, the entire book uh, accumulating in, in John chapter 6, 66, 666. They all turned away and Jesus asked the disciple, do you want to live as well? Peter said, where can we go? Where else can we go? You are truly the Messiah. And so Judas didn't feel that way probably. He started to have doubts about Jesus' direction. And so he thought initially by joining this group of disciples, he can uh, be part of this group that will overthrow and liberate Israel from the, oppression, from the oppressor. But he was completely disillusioned of where Jesus is taking them. And as such, he thought by betraying Jesus, it could cause an insurrection because he's getting popular now and the people will rise up and, and the whole Jewish people will rise up and fight against um, and as such, uh, liberate them in a sense. So, but the fact of the matter is it didn't happen and as such, he was so disillusioned and he went to see the high priest, I betrayed an innocent person. We take back the money. Maybe we just read. He said, what is it to us? You bear the consequences of your decision. You betray Jesus. You go. And he was overcome with remorse and guilt. And he hanged himself. Whereas Peter denied Jesus. He was overcome with remorse as well. But he repented and went back to Jesus. So those are the four possible motives that Judas had for betraying Jesus. Probably a combination of a few. You can't be dogmatic about which one, 
um, as we all know, our motives are always mixed. Uh, as much as we try to be pure, sometimes there are other ulterior motives that came along as well. So it may be a mixed motives of that. Let me move on to uh, some of the things that I want to uh, highlight, five of them uh, on message. What are some of the application that we can learn from the story of Judas? I have five. Five important warnings. The first one is the enemy is always within. We have to know this, my friend. Enemy is never without. Enemy is always within. We are far less to fear from outsiders than from insiders. We are much more likely to encounter the enemy within our midst than in the world beyond our doors. Even on a personal basis, the enemy is always within within this thing called here. Yeah? The enemy is within here. How we think sometimes. Identity problems and, and all that, you know. Uh, it's all here. Or sometimes we have all these dots and we anyhow join dots. We think people think that we are like that. Da, da, da. And then you become a detective and you formulate a story and then lead you down a pathway uh, thinking everybody against you. And then you nobody bother. The enemy is always within, even on a personal basis, in the family. Yeah, his family fell apart because of someone, one joker there. They wrecked the family, family business, whatever. We heard about it all the time. Family, there's always within. Even church, it's also within. Problem is also within. We have far more to fear of insiders than outsiders. All the liberal theology and all that happened because of insiders. All the Christians are the wreckers. All the ministers, all the, all the scholars, some of them are the wreckers. They lead people down a pathway. And all, it's always insider. Even society, the problem is not outsider. It's always insider. African proverb says, if there is no enemy within, the enemy outside can do us no harm. And Abraham Lincoln said, if destruction be our Lord, we must ourselves be its author. So it's always within society. It has been, for many years now, it has been forecast uh, the demise and collapse of Western civilization. Yeah, you see how the West is, is falling apart. Why? Why is it falling apart? Because the foundation, the glue that is holding the Western civilization together is based on Judeo-Christian principle. The scripture, the Bible. That's the culture, the heritage of Western civilizations, Western society. It is that. But when you start to leave God, start to depart from God, start to turn away from the scripture, then your foundation is eroded. And then it will fall apart. You can blame it on immigration. You can blame it on the rise of Islam or whatever. But the heart of the issue is that where the people depart from God. And when you depart from God, which is your foundation, the glue, the Judeo-Christian principle, that holds everything together will start to collapse. The enemy is within, not without. Is within. Alexandra Solzhenitsyn, the uh, Russian novelist, uh, won the prize for literature because he exposed the gulag. And uh, he says this, he said, the strength or weakness of a society depends more on the level of its spiritual life than on its level of industrialization. 
if a nation's spiritual energies have been exhausted, it will not be safe from collapse by the most perfect government structure or by any industrial development. A tree with a rotten core cannot stand. A tree with a rotten core cannot stand. When you remove the thing, the glue that holds the culture together, you remove it, it will collapse. And that is why it says civilizations die from suicide, not by murder. It's insider, within. It is not external. You kill yourself. So the enemy is always within. And we have to remember that. We have to take note of that. Whether it's on the individual level, family, church, or society at large, it's always internal. Number two, it is never a waste to worship. It is never a waste to worship. The story is about Mary Magdalene. Before Jesus died, she wanted to show her love to Jesus. So she took out the alabaster jar that contains perfume. She went to Jesus, poured out on her, his feet with her hair. She cleaned and anointed Jesus. That is her love she wanted to show to Jesus. And here comes Judas Iscariot. Let me read to you. Mary took about a pint of pure nut, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? And the money given to the poor, it was worth a year's wages. A year's wages. Will you do that? Will you do actually give up your way, a year's wage for Jesus? But Mary did. Mary poured it all just for that moment. Want to show to Jesus how much she loves him. Poured it on Jesus' feet and extravagantly showed his love to Jesus and cried with tears, mixing his, her tears with the perfume and her hair, she wiped it on Jesus' feet. Just to anoint him before he goes to the cross. And here come Judas, say, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? Very pious, isn't it? It was worth a year's wages. You know what Jesus said to her? Says to him? Three words. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. You don't want to do it, but why are you stopping her from doing it? Because Jesus means nothing to you. If Jesus means nothing to you, even giving water is a waste, let alone perfume. Leave her alone, Jesus said. It's never a waste to worship. 
is never a waste. God will reward you greatly. It's never a waste. Don't ever think that your service to God is a waste. It's never a waste. I read a chapter of a book by Watchman Nee many years ago at Bible College. And this story, I always tell my Bible study, if I have one sermon that I only can preach, I will preach John chapter 12. And it is, it is this story. If I have only one sermon to preach, I will preach John chapter 12 about Mary's extravagant love shown to Jesus. And in that chapter, Watchman Nee mentioned two words, expounding on this story, and he uses two words, ways and worth. He compared what is ways and what is worth. He, and his conclusion is, whether it's ways or worth, it depends on what the person means to you. If I buy a diamond ring for my wife, which I, have, have I? <laughs> if I buy a diamond ring for my wife, say I buy five carat diamond, diamond. I don't know how much it costs. Maybe I buy from, maybe I go and buy from Costco. <laughs> yeah, they sell diamond ring, by the way. And you come along and say to me, it's a waste. How can it be a waste to me? Because it's my wife. If you spend $50,000 a, a year, send your children to private school, I come to you and say, hey, it's a waste, man. Public school is free. How would you feel? Because these my children. I'll do anything for them. I'll sacrifice anything for my children to send them to the best school. So whether it is a waste or it is worth, it depends on how much value you place on the person. So for Mary, Jesus means everything to her. What is one year's wage to Paul at the feet of Jesus to her? If I have 10 years' wish of perfume, I might have to do it likewise, she may think. It's never a waste to worship. It's never a waste to serve God. It's never a waste to give up some of your little whatever on Sunday morning to make an effort to bring your children or whatever to come to church to worship. It's never a waste. It's never a waste to roll up your sleeve to serve God, to set aside time deliberately, consciously to serve God. It's not a waste. In eternity, you will be so glad you did it. You'll be so glad you did it. Because you will always become who you worship. You become what you worship. Number three, don't betray Jesus for money. Don't betray Jesus for money. We all need money. Money is important. We all need. We need to eat. We need to buy a decent house, support our families, send them to school, holidays. These are nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. As uh, Edmund prayed, God gives us, is it, who was it that prayed that God gives us all things to enjoy? Intimacy talks about that. But don't betray Jesus for money. Jesus said, don't love, don't uh, serve God. You can't serve God and money together. Make sure money is your servant and not your master. 
Money needs to be our servant and not our master. But the problem is if you depend on your servant too much, you know what happens? They become your master. So you have to really have tight reign over that. See yourself as a manager. Don't see yourself as an owner. See yourself as a manager. Because when you die, you can't bring with you anyway. So see yourself as a manager of the possession that God has entrusted to you for a little while. There are four ways you can know whether you love money or not. The first one is, do you spend more time thinking about how to get money or how to do a good job? Number two, you know you love money when you never have enough. You're never satisfied. You haven't really learned the meaning of contentment. You never have enough. Waking hour to dawn, you always think about money only. Number three, you know that you love money when you resent giving it away. You resent. It kills you to give it away because you are in the mood of using all your money to make sure you get something for it. And the idea of giving it away is very distasteful. So a person who loves money holds it for his own gratification or her own gratification rather than parting it to bless some people who are in need. Finally, here's the final test whether you love money or not. You love money, you will sin to obtain it. When you sin, you break the law to obtain it. So don't betray Jesus for money. Make sure money is your servant and not your master. Number four. So close to the cross and yet so far from Christ. Judas was so close and yet so far. I took this phrase from Max Lucado. He wrote a book, which is the first book that I ever read as a Christian, as a young Christian. The book is called No Wonder They Call Him the Savior by Max Lucado. He was reflecting about the soldier at the foot of the cross nailing Jesus. Dong, dong. Max Lucado has a way to write that makes you feel that you are there. You could smell things, you know. He just has the ability to, to use languages in that way. And he said, these soldiers, they were so close to Christ, so close to the cross, and yet they are so far from Christ. They are so close to the timber, and yet they are so far from the blood. Judas was so close and yet he was so far. Have you ever lived with someone that you live all your life with and yet you actually don't know the person? Did you ever reflect? Do you actually know your mother? Do you actually know your father? There I even say, do you actually know your wife? Do you actually know your husband? Do you know your children? So close and yet so far. He was so close and yet so far. Do you know why? Because the rest of the disciples see Jesus as Lord. Whereas Judas only see Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher. He's a good moral teacher. 
I'll show you in Matthew chapter 26. This is the time of the Lord's Supper. Jesus was telling them, one of you here will betray me. And they were very sad and began to say to him, one and after the other, Surely, Lord, surely you don't mean, Lord. It's not me, right? It's not me. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. One after another, everybody calls, say the same thing. And look at what Judas said. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Teacher. He sees Jesus only as a teacher. He did not see Jesus as Lord. Rabbi. And Jesus said, you have said so. And then when in the garden of Gethsemane, when, G- when Judas went to betray, to identify Jesus with a kiss to the soldiers, this is what he called Jesus. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came, friend. Jesus still call him friend. Do what you came, friend. So you can see that the other disciples call Jesus Lord, but Judas calls him Rabbi, which means teacher. After all this time Judas spent with Jesus, Judas still only saw Jesus as a teacher. Not God, not Lord, not the true Messiah that's coming in the person of Christ. Still can't see it. And therefore he has never truly embraced and given his heart to Jesus. So close to the cross and yet so far from Christ. I fear, my friend, I fear that there are people who come to church every Sunday. All your life attending church but you have never called Jesus your Lord. You only call Jesus a teacher, a good moral teacher, a good example, a good historical figure. But you have never truly called Jesus Lord. I fear that it can happen to us as believers, week after week, but have never surrendered our life to Jesus, like Judas. And when you are in that capacity, you are more likely to be willing to betray Christ. Lastly, it's a sober note. Very sober. I wrestled very long whether to put this point on when I was in Sydney, when I was every day, when I go for a walk round the block, round the. I said, should I put it? Yes, no, yes, no. One day I say yes, next day I say no. But I've decided to put it on. If you don't finish your assignment, somebody else will. That's another application. If you don't finish your assignment, somebody else will. Judas did not finish the assignment as a disciple. He was replaced in Acts chapter 1 by a man called Matthias. And so in Revelation chapter 21, when the foundation gate was built in the future, built on the 12 apostles, Judas' name will be scratched away and Matthias' name will be there and not Judas. 
If you don't finish your assignment, somebody else will. The fact of the matter is God does not need me. I need God. God can find somebody to do the job. But the privilege has been granted. We have to capture it for God and use it to serve God. Finish the assignment. Finish the task. Finish the race. Run the race. Cross that finishing line. Cross that finishing line. Too many people have dropped out of the race. Too many people have become disillusioned. Too many people have betrayed Christ and walked away and did not finish the race. If you don't finish your assignment, somebody else will. Even Rick Warren wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. The first sentence in that book begins by saying, it is not about you. To find a purpose, meaning of life, it must start from above. That we are made for a purpose for God. For God. What was Judas ending? I'm going to read to you again. We have read that this morning. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him. They led him away. They handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. Suddenly he felt remorse, conscience struck him. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Well, the chief priest said, well, what is that to us? That's your problem. That's your responsibility. You chose to betray him. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left when he went away and hanged himself. The other disciples that was mentioned about dying is other than Judas, Judas is one that was mentioned that he hung himself to death. The rest of the disciples was unknown how they died. But uh, Judas here died by killing himself because he was overcome with guilt. He could have repented like Peter came back. What would it take for you to sell out the Son of God? Would you betray him for money? Would you betray him to keep the job you have? Would you betray him to save your own skin? Would you betray him because he didn't live up to your expectations? Would you betray him because you thought he let you down? My friend, these are searching questions that may be easier to ask than to answer because it's very confronting. I ask you not to take them lightly. The one main lesson from Judah's life is lost unless we at least ask ourselves the questions. 
what would it take for us to sell out the Son of God? May we learn from Judas, these are warning and sober words. And I pray that you today sit here will give your heart to Jesus, to surrender your life to him, not just see Jesus as a moral teacher, but to see him as your Lord. And when you see him as your Lord, you have single purpose of life, and all things will fit into it, where is your career, your family. Your single focus need to be God first. The rest will fall into place. When you put second things first, you get neither. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this privilege of walking through uh, all the 12 disciples. Uh, that we can learn something from them. And it's a sober note to end this series on Judas because it is a warning for us that you can be so close and yet so far. You can spend so much time hearing your word and yet at the same time have never quite really grasped who you are. It can happen to us. I pray that no one leave here this morning without truly bowing our heads and give our hearts to Jesus as Lord and Savior and surrender our life and sing like just now we said, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this final song, uh, once again we are reminded of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.